0: Welcome, this is Michael Volkoff. This is episode 120 of Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Our episode today is an interview of Chris Bailey and Stephen Gooding from NAVEX Global and a discussion of current third-party risk management strategies. Hello everyone, thanks for joining me today on Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Before we get started, I wanted to ask everyone to subscribe to our podcast and give our podcast a five-star rating so other compliance professionals can find. find us. So, okay, you guys, it's taken me a long time to get these guys here. I had to fly all the way out to Portland, Oregon, uh, but I'm pleased to welcome two leading compliance experts to our podcast, Chris Bailey and Stephen Gooding from Navex Global. Welcome, gentlemen. I'm so glad to see you in one piece or two pieces, uh, and it's good to see you here, and I'm glad you could uh, visit with me today. Well, the three of us have uh, worked together for a number of years on third-party risk management, automation, uh, and risk management, but you each bring a valuable perspective to this issue. So first, for our listeners, let me give you a brief outline. So Chris Bailey is the product manager here at NAVX Global for Risk Rate, uh, and Chris is responsible for the design, development, and implementation of NAVX Global's Risk Rate Automated third-party management solution, all in one word. Chris is focused on anti-corruption compliance solution, solutions and has spent the last six years creating efficient due diligence technology and content for really getting at the risks of customers and business partners. Chris, that's a fantastic resume. Uh, Stephen Gooding, Senior Director, Sales Specialist, NavX Global Risk Rate. Stephen joined NavX Global in 2014 and has extensive experience in enterprise software solutions. His real expertise is helping organizations to streamline their third-party due diligence, onboarding, and risk management processes. So those are our characters here. It's taken me a long time. These guys are busy. They're on tour, usually. But it's good to see you guys here. And uh, let's set the stage a little, because Look, in our work here, Volkoff Law and and in the compliance community, third-party risk management is by far and away the most challenging subject that people deal with, problem. Uh, We now have seen it stretch uh, with the OFAC's recent um, compliance program guidance, uh, reemphasizing the importance of sanctions compliance. We have anti-money laundering, cybersecurity, data privacy, antitrust, and significant reputational risks. So we've seen a lot of challenges. Uh, particularly, one of the new areas that I know Chris is is likes to talk about as well is beneficial ownership and how we get at that. So you guys have been out there dealing with a lot of companies. You examine, you deal with this issue. Um, and I and I hate to say it, but I I definitely push the idea of automation. And to me, that's kind of like a baseline to start. So let's assume we're talking to people who are automating in the process of it or have automated and then they want to make it work best. So let's start with each of you. Chris, I mean, what's your perspective in terms of what are people doing out there? Because I have clients asking me, how can I benchmark? How do I know that I'm doing the right thing? But in terms of automation and where people are going, what do you see out there?
1: Yeah, uh, a lot of really good signs, in my opinion. Um, Having been in this uh, space for about the last six years, as you said, uh, and being on tour, I love that reference. Um, uh, Not with the Rolling Stones. No, unfortunately not. Uh, But, uh, you know, watching... This space evolve has been one of the most exciting things. Uh, watching people, companies, organizations move from um, very uh, one size fits all programs right. to really taking in the guidance that we're seeing that's come across from the DOJ, from uh, the, the latest OFAC guidance that that you've talked about extensively in you know other webinars, etc. Um, companies are taking it to heart, and they're taking. Uh, Third party risk in particular, uh, much more seriously. And right. so uh, I think it's an exciting time um, from a uh, program perspective, an implementation of a program. Uh, you know, my, what I see or what I would propose for anybody who's trying to figure out what to do next, if you haven't started a program, definitely start now, uh, but start simplistically. Um, take a risk-based approach That's really the critical piece. Analyze like some, even some basic components of risk. And, you know, Michael's got a lot of details out there for you to grab previous podcasts he's done, webinars that'll really help guide you. Um, but to me, start out there and build your program. Uh, make sure that you, whatever automation you use, you really want to make sure that you, your program can grow with that automation.
0: Right. I mean, that's a great piece of advice, I think, in terms of starting out slowly. Because what I see is somebody gets an automated platform and they take their 50,000 vendors and suppliers, they dump them onto the system, and then they're like, okay, this should be working. What do I? But they don't know what they're doing at that point. They don't take the time to sort of tailor the information they're putting in to their risk profiles and what they want to get out. So I don't know, Stephen, what do you see like, you know, there the are challenges with automation, but in the end, the end process is just, it's fantastic. It is, it's the baseline now of what you need. But getting over those first few steps is pretty tough sometimes. Yeah.
2: The thing I like to ask Chief Compliance Officer and General counsels is, think of the things that you or your, your team members hate to do every day. Think of the things that you just despise waking up to do. Things like manual sending of emails, things like sifting through irrelevant data that you don't necessarily care about, things like um, trying to get to the bottom of risk, having lack of visibility. If you can think of those top three to five items that you hate doing every day, chances are some very smart software developers and product teams have created something to help you there. And if you really start thinking about the things you don't like, start asking questions from you know people like MavX to see if they can streamline it at all. So I, I think I think sometimes we overthink it. I think we just got to think of the things that we think could be changed in a good way and start inquiring about it.
0: But, you know, one, one thing in terms of getting over those initial hurdles, one that I try to help people with is how do I go to my boss and justify this expenditure? Everybody knows, for example, third-party risk, third-party risk. What at least the benefits that I see of sort of your product is it's easy to use and within a few months or within on, you know, developing your risk profile and getting sort of uh, controls set out there within the organization as to how it's going to be used, you're going to see a dramatic improvement. I mean, your that thing, I mean, your example is perfect, Stephen, because like I always say, the, the compliance people responsible, and even procurement, they love it because there's a lot of manual stuff that they don't have to do anymore. I, w- I once remember going to a client, and, he, and I said, so let me see your vendor list, and it was a spreadsheet, and he had the revenue that he kept, and I'm like, that can't be good. It's got to be, nobody gets access to that. Nobody can, you can't share it across the organization. So... What I like what I like to tell people is it's gonna make everybody in the business world, not just your risk managers or your compliance people, but the business people are gonna find value in it too, right? I mean, do you guys share that? Yeah, if
1: you're you know shaving
0: days off
1: of how fast you go to contract with a third party, there's huge value across the organization. Then you just multiply that by how many third parties you're working with and and your your sales organization, the business sponsors of these relationships they are going to be ecstatic and your workload is reduced right you're focusing on what you need to focus
0: on not doing all the menial tasks that steven was just talking about and that's one thing is it frees up time from compliance staff to do other things and there's plenty of other risks that they can get to but at least they feel confident that part of this through the automated platform is going to make their life better you don't you're not sending questionnaires through emails we're you know to the potential third party we're not reviewing them manually uh all of that thing uh in that i mean but there still are challenges uh and I, I i mean i hate to raise more difficulties but there still are challenges in how you manage your automated platform because if you don't set it up right or tinker with it right and set your risk thresholds at certain levels you could go off right in the wrong direction you're going to be in a state of chaos right Mm -hmm. so how much work is there from your vantage point let's say in in, when you first set up what are some of the critical issues you've got to do when you I've got my system up let's say I got risk rate up now I've got my list of vendors on a spreadsheet which you guys can and, and I think this is a great aspect of your product I can upload it right that data now, what do I? But what am I gonna do in terms of how do I sift and work through these people?
1: Yeah, and, and I'm, gonna, I'm gonna just call back to that you know, one-size-fits-all. You know, that, that was the, the process that I saw six years ago, five years ago, four years ago even, where everybody thought, most organizations thought just this, this general database screening of the third party was acceptable, right. and that if there were no flags, then hey, everything's golden. Uh, and, and that is the first step to me. It's about understanding the level of risk that you face working with that third party. So to me, before you load your 10,000, 1,000, however many third parties you're working with, you got to have some basic level of risk assessment internally that your organization has determined as the key risk concerns, right so that you can then stratify that third part, those third parties into the proper buckets and put your attention on those highest risk ones because they're the ones that are going to put your organization at risk so that
0: that makes total sense and what i what i've seen is and i think we we just did a webinar where we were talking about this i see usually 10 percent of your population turns into high risk what i so these are maybe agents who sell for you directly to the government distributors who are out there and can create liability for you Even if you have potential government ownership, I mean, you have to verify that. That raises risks in the third party. But that, I mean, to me, that raises a great issue. So I can take the automated platform and I can start to carve these people into categories, is what you're saying, right? Absolutely. And then then apply different rules depending upon what category they're in. Is that the way you guys generally do it?
2: Yeah, I, I think if you want to think about it in a simple way, let's say you categorize in lo- low, medium, and high, and to your example, you have 10%, let's say you have 1,000 total, 10% of 1,000 is 100. For high-risk third parties, let's say you make internal rules and say for all high-risk, I need to send questionnaires out, I need to do a screen, and I need to notify the following people that there's a high-risk third party. Right. Without automation, that's 100 emails, that's 100 keying of screens, and that's right. 100, 100 more emails to notify people. With automation, as soon as the tool recognizes that it's high risk, all three of those things can happen automatically. And you just sit back and wait for the alerts to come through.
0: It's See, that's pretty cool. That is, so the, the questionnaire goes out. Mm-hmm. The notification internally is done that we're, we're looking at a high risk candidate. And then you'll get information back. And then you may, I may just say as a rule, that 10% of the population, I'm going to do even more steps on. Yep. So for example... Uh, I've had clients who say, "Everybody in that category, I'm going to get enhanced due diligence on them, so I'm going to order a service to do a deeper dive on them and get more information." I think that's a good rule, a good rule of thumb. Okay, and um, but and then in the automated platform, how do we make sure that all of that is kept together? How do I know? How do I keep that together? In terms of do I, you know? In terms of. So somebody comes to me and say, you know, what happened with this third party? How did you get them on board? I want to be able to show that to somebody. How, do I, does that, how does that come through?
2: Yeah, just think about logging into the system, typing in the name of the third party. Everything under that third party record is stored. It has the date of which the, when the due diligence occurred. It has who ordered the due diligence. It has when it was approved. It has the moment in time where it went from low risk to high risk. It tells you exactly when questionnaires were sent out.
0: Does it have the enhanced due diligence mm-hmm. study? Is that in, in with associated with that file? All in one system. All in one system.
2: Yeah, we don't want you to go anywhere else outside of the system unless you have some sort of maybe a you know ERP system or vendor management system. But we actually offer an API where you can connect the two systems. We don't want to disrupt the process. We want to. Off, uh, oh, that's it.
0: so you tie. List, so if yeah. I have like an SAP system, you guys can tie in risk rate in, into that. Even
1: better, what if you have a spreadsheet that you're managing? Connect the API up to that spreadsheet because it's a database structure. So the API is designed to essentially hook up with any database Anybody. structure. Yeah. So we have a lot of customers saying, "Hey, you know what? Our business folks—they're used to
2: entering things into SAP, and we don't want to introduce them to a new right." I've heard system.
0: that. I've heard that. So yeah. we'll,
2: we'll tell them, "You know what? Let's keep that same process. They can still go into SAP. They can type in the name of the third party. All that data is going to be fed into risk rate, and you just sit there and wait for your alerts to come
0: in." That is fantastic.
2: Yeah, you don't disrupt anything.
0: With this. See, I I didn't actually know that. So I have vendor people who use SAP, and 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 that raises an issue for me. Like the first step that I've seen is we've got to get the procurement people on board with compliance, right? Yeah. But usually procurement loves us because here's one database or one record. Because usually I've had clients who have said hey, uh, procurement, you have a questionnaire. Can I add three questions in there about compliance or about anti-corruption? Now, when you bring everybody together, they may use the same questionnaire going out. And they may have then both would have access to all of that data. So let's say we take our top 10% and we've got them as high risk. We've gone through enhanced due diligence. Everything is in the system. Then what do we do? How do we start to Carve them up after that. In other words, we've got our high risk, and
1: I mean that's going to vary, right? Okay. From from one organization to the
0: next. Right.
1: Um, The power of automation is giving the customer the flexibility. Uh, The organization that's dealing with these third parties, trying to allow them to say, "This is what we do." Um, You're obviously going to need to apply varying levels of due diligence. You don't want to. You don't want to throw an enhanced due diligence uh, report at a window washer. Right. You know, right. That's, that's just a waste of all of those, you know, precious compliance dollars that you have that are right. limited. Um, you want to direct them in the proper place. So it's really about, as an organization, determining this is how we are going to handle low, medium, medium. high. And setting those standards so that, you know, you have a defensible program. You're showing that you are applying different levels of due diligence based on that risk. And an automated solution uh, should really be oriented toward allowing each organization flexibility.
0: So I could see I start with like a, a medium risk, but let's say I get a red flag and then I look at the red flag and I go, oh my goodness, right? I didn't know this about these guys. So I may elevate them and put them into an enhanced due diligence Pile, or I may run them and uh, and everything looks okay. I get the green, and then I'm I'm done. And I may have just sort of standard procedures for contracts or mitigating risk and stuff like that. But nothing enhanced.
2: You have also got to future-proof your risk too. I mean, even if they come back green and they're considered medium, you got to make sure that what happens in the future doesn't come back to bite you. That's true. There's a lot of folks out there that think you know every time the contract renews, we need to do another report. But what if you know? 2 years before that contractor moves they show up on a sanctions list. Right. Or what if they show up in the news for something that could damage your reputation? I think with our system it's a daily automation screen we do. So if something shows up on a, you know, in, in Bloomberg, you know, you get an you get an alert about
0: it. Right. So. Right. And that get and that gets at the issue of sort of the continuous monitoring type thing. So you're saying we got to have flexibility. My view is I want to get those notices. But on the other hand, that's a delicate balance there because I don't want to get too many notices and then overwhelm our staff, but I do want to get the key ones, and, and that can trigger an investigation, like you're saying, or reclassification, re- doing more due diligence at that point. How yeah. do you guys get at that issue? Yeah. So no, that's, that's a hard, tough issue to me.
1: It, it is, and uh, I like to say not all data is created equal, uh, not all issue. learning. Uh, has the same value. Um, So it's important that the data that you are reviewing um, has the ability to be targeted to your risk profile, um, that you're getting the information that you need to act upon. From our standpoint, we have partnered with an organization, Regulatory Data Corp, RDC, um, and there's a lot of configurability in terms of what our customers can, cannot see, like if they only wanna know if uh, an entity has ever been convicted of something, right. they can set that. If they wanna know about all the way down to the initial accusation or alleged activity, they can go that, that deep as well. Right. Um, and set these thresholds, how far back they want information. Do you only want you know, the last five years of information or do you want the full
0: right.
1: you know, scope? And so it's important to have that sort of uh, flexibility in a product um, that's why we partner with RDC for that data. Right. Because it, it, we've seen for our customers uh,
0: over 60%
1: reduction in the amount of, of alerts that they would otherwise be receiving through another data
0: provider. And that's by crafting or tailoring the triggers for the notices? That's actually same? out of the box. So, really? um,
1: yeah, so as customers mature, grow, they, they review the alerts that they receive, they can further refine and improve upon that and take that alerting level down to, you know, 90% reduction in in alerting. I mean, the sky's the limit in terms of how much customers manage their own data and determine what is and is not risk-relevant to their organization.
0: See, like I, for example, I'm a, let's say, client X, and I don't really care about one of my vendors has a labor law violation in Brazil It's not in my core business area, it doesn't real, and it, and it's, they tend to be more routine, okay? So I don't want to get that notice. I don't necessarily want to spend the time to even look at it and decide that I don't need to uh, investigate it or resolve it and document it. So I can avoid that, is what you're saying, Mm -hmm. by the settings and uh, working with RDC part and set it so that I don't get that Whereas on the other hand, I may want to get every notice. Who knows? Yeah,
2: Yeah. I mean you can choose not to get ever get it because you'll never decision on it, or you can choose that you're only going to decision on it once it gets to a certain stage. Like for example, a lot of our customers they'll say, you know, a lot of times murders are just allegations until they get to a conviction stage. We're not going to do anything with
0: our vendors. Uh, That's a good point, too. In other words, allegations versus convictions. Proving
2: conviction. Yeah, 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 exactly.
0: Because allegations could be, who knows, in some political environments, you don't know what that is. In certain
2: areas, you have no idea if if it's legit or not. Or reliable. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
0: That's a good point. All right. Let me switch to one other topic, which is one of our favorites. Uh, Look, last year, uh, big regulatory changes occurred around beneficial ownership in the U.S., We see Europe with the, uh, Europe is actually, I think, ahead of the United States on beneficial ownership and these corporate registries that are starting. Um, And I tend to take a pretty aggressive view that, you know, if you don't do due diligence with beneficial owners and knowing who owns a company, it's by definition deficient. So you literally cannot just take a company's name, run it, and say, I'm okay with it and these are private companies usually, not a publicly traded company, without knowing who they, who really owns them. how, So how do we take risk rate? How do we get at that issue of beneficial ownership? Because you guys must get asked this in, uh, from clients all the time. Yeah,
1: we do, um, and it was a top development priority this past year to right. uh, incorporate a level of beneficial ownership data from a data provider Uh, Because as many of uh, the organizations out there that are working with third parties have programs in place and use questionnaires, which is the most common use case, they know that it, A, can be time consuming, waiting for those questionnaires to be returned, Mm -hmm. B, that there can be a lot of incorrect information provided um, for natural reasons, such as uh, not uh, disclosing um, things that you want to keep in And so it's important to balance out what is disclosed by your third party with other sources that
0: are... Just to um, check it, right? Just to check it it, to make sure you're getting, um, that the information they're giving you is reliable. I mean, I sometimes ask for documentation, but that's a big pain. They don't like to provide it. Uh, And if you're telling me that eventually, I mean, we're going to incorporate in risk rate some kind of beneficial ownership, yep. that could be a real big game changer in that sense, right? Yeah,
1: you know, we, we want to make the process as seamless as possible for uh, the compliance officer that's running this program, for the general counsel that might be uh, in charge of it, so that they can get the data as quickly as possible um, and as reliably as possible. And so that's why we do chart, uh, choose the partners that we pull our data from uh, very selectively um, because we want not only breadth of data, but we
0: want quality of you data You want good as well. data, right? So, I mean, there's nothing worse than bad data.
1: And even
2: it's nuanced, though, because even in certain jurisdictions, that kind of stuff you're not going to get out of a database.
0: Well, yeah. there also are some countries that will not you're it's prohibited not from getting the yeah. information. Like even Mauritius. the best, Mauritius, yeah, yeah. Even some of the you know uh, the sources for this data, you can't get it.
2: Yeah, and so that's why we offer some additional things you can do within the system. You can, We offer what we call beneficial ownership tracking. We also offer human intelligence, just discrete interviews type stuff. We had a case where one of our customers ordered a due diligence report. They found they were it was ownership in Mauritius. Mauritius, it's not you accessible. It. Right. But through other means of intelligence, they found some smoking guns that led the customer wow. to believe that it was someone else that's hiding ownership there. So, yeah, there's a lot of
1: cool things you can do that digs a little deeper than what the database will provide and you're going to dig deeper you should be digging deeper when it is a higher risk third party that absolutely, absolutely. gives
0: you a
2: chance to go back to the third party ask them additional questions or at least show you've done an additional level to someone you know
1: you know though, this this beneficial ownership conversation it does bring up something that i hear frequently What's from right? customers which is a confusion around the percentage requirement right versus what percentage really means when you're dealing with beneficial ownership right. and Uh, A deliberate attempt to disguise what that ownership is, which can obfuscate the actual real percentage of ownership. You could see be listed as a 10% owner, but then have a shell corporation that is a 40% owner that you're also the 40% 40. owner
0: of. Or the the other thing that I see is uh, weird family relationships like, you know, all of a sudden there's a family member holding 40% along with your 10% and it turns out you have control through the family member, obviously. Um, shell companies are just a, a mess, like you go to Panama, you go to wherever, um, and trying to get underneath them can be really difficult.
1: So from your perspective, what is the best practice, you know, in terms yeah. of a percentage? Well, search?
0: I see, and, the, and that raises two issues, because we have the OFAC 50% rule, and it's not just one SDN who has 50. You can have three SDNs with 17% each that add to 51. Exactly. Um, but I do have clients who have, for example, an SDN in the ownership structure of a third party, but it's below 50%. And they, what that means, though, is, and this is where risk rate would come in, I want to monitor that person. I want to be on top of that person. I may r- rerun them, do more due diligence every quarter on them just to see, make sure there's no change, in that SDN's ownership and I watched the relationships between them. Now the the really scary part though, the worst part is in the bribery area because all you need is a a 1% ownership interest by a government official who's taking that equity interest and that's the way they get paid their bribe. So I've seen them anywhere from, I've seen a 5% bribery interest to a 10% bribery interest so let's say in this private company, I never run them. I just run the company and there's nothing. And then I have a hidden government owner. And that's the whole thing. Right. I'm just saying the government is, first off, it's bad for my business to be involved in that. Okay. And And we're going to take steps to make sure we don't deal with people like that. But if the government ever found out, it's going to be worse. Mm-hmm. They're going to say, why didn't you, I mean, why did you just rely on that? You don't know who these people are. And you're sitting there like uh, J- you know, Jackie Gleason, humda, da hum-da, humda, humda, and you can't do anything at that point. So, um, so beneficial. On- it's on the other hand, I will say this. Look, it's a such a massive issue that, like you said, Chris, in in the beginning, you've got to do everything risk focused Small. You can't just say we got to get every beneficial owner across twenty thousand vendors and suppliers. I start with high-risk people and go and work my way down. Always do it in prioritizing every function that I do the way that you said. Carve up people, then go to your, as you were saying, Stephen, go to medium and lower risk. So I I just think on a high-risk person, i got to know everybody that I'm dealing with because that's dangerous to begin with. Um, But I, I think that's great that you guys are looking at the beneficial ownership issue, Right. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I, I think that it, that mark that part of the due diligence need uh, is going to continue to evolve. I think there's a lot of confusion still right now in terms of what the expectations are. Um, you know, the, like I say, the percentage basis is not. Uh, not doing the needful justice, in my opinion. Yeah. I think that you have to think about it uh, from multiple angles, that being you know, the risk, uh, whether or not there could be obfuscated hidden ownership, things like that. So you have to take a lot more into account than just a percentage basis. And
2: I think with the new, regular, I mean, you got AML directives, you've got, right. and, uh, in the EU especially, people are begging for someone to show me how this is done, please. Right. And when you get down to brass tacks, it's almost impossible to do it the right way without some form of automation, which is going to make us a whole hell of a lot more valuable.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's impossible to do without automation. Yeah. You couldn't, you'll drive yourself crazy. Yeah. One last issue before we roll, you guys, uh, is, uh, and, and we've talked about this before, one of the things that I see most importantly to get business buy-in is to have a simple solution. In other words, if it's complex, the more complex it is, the less likelihood of adoption, and the, the, where do you see that? How do you see that playing out with risk rate? What's you, what's your view of sort of how you make this simple enough that you get the business by it?
2: Uh, from my perspective, um, I'm a sales guy at heart, mm-hmm. always have been. Um, I think if you can give me the easiest, simplest way to get business onboarded to my company, right. I don't think any. Uh, executive staff member or board member is going to argue with that. If you can say the business is going to onboard these third parties, you know, 30% quicker because of this automation, no one's going to bat an eye at that. They want that. Uh, especially if you put blinders on certain people, make sure they do only their
1: jobs and then it gets tasked up with appropriate people. So. Yeah, but Steven, you're a sales guy, so you forgot to say, I'm <laughs> going to do it faster while simultaneously reducing right?
0: Okay. Well, thank you, Stephen. Thank you, Chris. Really appreciate the uh, conversation. Um, if anyone wants to get in touch with uh, Stephen or Chris, uh, the best way to reach them is through email at info at navexglobal.com or call 1-866-297-0224 in North America or plus 44 289391650 for the EMEA offices. Again, the email address is info at com or call 18662970224 in North America, or plus plus forty four twenty eight nine three nine one six five zero oh, for, uh, oh, for the EMEA offices. Thanks again, Chris. Thanks again. Uh, Stephen. It was a great discussion and hope to ha- to bring you back again at some point and All catch right. up on third-party risks as and how to best uh, attach- tackle.
1: Right. Every day, is day Maybe somewhere down the road away. You think of me and wonder where I am. Somewhere down the road, when somebody plays at the end of the line, the purple haze. Well, it's all. To be here, happy to feel that. The end of the line, of the line. it don't matter if you're by my side.